This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Well, hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. Um, You know, I'm your host, Trevor Williams. And, you know, I'm always fascinated about meat about meat science, about butchery, and all that good stuff. And so today on the show, we are actually talking with somebody that is a literal uh, meat scientist. And her name is Diana Clark, and she works for the Certified Angus Beef brand. And in our interview today, Diana and I are going to talk about her background, how she grew up um, around the suburbs of Chicago, and then eventually went on to get her bachelor's and master's degree in animal science. And now she works with the Certified Angus Beef brand, basically helping drive awareness about Angus beef, um, how it's different than other beef, how it kind of has that prestige, um, you know, whenever you think about, I mean, anytime you go to like a restaurant or somewhere, you see on the menu, oh, look, 100% certified Angus beef. And so Diana's going to tell us kind of the background about the brand, about why they got it started, about why, um, you know, Angus needs to be 100% certified Angus. It's actually a really interesting story that an Angus farmer or an Angus rancher went to a restaurant, had a bad experience for something that was called Angus beef on the menu, and it wound up not to be Angus beef. And um, so through that whole ordeal, the certified Angus beef brand was started, and all that good stuff kind of helped drive education and resources for consumers as well as for those Angus um, ranchers. And also we're going to talk about kind of the whole COVID impact because we heard a lot of people during COVID in early 2020 talking about there actually being um, a beef or a meat shortage when in reality there wasn't a shortage. The problem was that the processing facilities were down in terms of, um, you know, employees were either getting sick or they were um, changing jobs and stuff like that. And so it kind of raised awareness about our processing facilities and we kind of maybe need to change it maybe not and so diana is going to talk today about that and all that good stuff and also kind of some lesser known quality cuts of meat 
um, some things that we like here in the U.S., they might like somewhere else. Or even how another another one of our guests, Boyd Farms Fresh, when you know your local farmer or somebody that maybe delivers to a, a farmer's market, you can buy lesser-known cuts of meat that are super popular and super tasty um, for people that know what they are, know how to cook them, like a hanger steak, for example. There's only one hanger steak on a cow, and so you won't find that at Publix. You won't find that at Walmart. You're going to find that at um, like a specialty butcher or somebody like a Boyd Farms Fresh that will sell direct to you. And so this is super awesome. Um, go check out Diana. Her Instagram is Beef Maven. We'll have all that linked in the description of this of this episode. And she kind of shares some cool cuts of meat every now and then. And, you know, you can help identify them or see if you know a thing or two about meat. And also, if you want, go check out CertifiedAngusBeef.com and you can learn all things beef, all things Certified Angus, which is super cool. So, again, this is episode 125 with Diana Clark from Certified Angus Beef. Hope you enjoy it and, you know, maybe this will make you hungry for a steak. I know I'm going to go... Allie and I have chicken planned for tonight, but I'm going to go change that and see if we can get some beef. So anyway, enjoy this podcast episode and thank you so much for listening. All right. Well, Diana Clark, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. How are you doing? Doing excellent. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So I'm excited to chat with you. I love learning more and more about meat science and butchery. So before we dive into that, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I actually grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, didn't really have much background in meat or animal science or anything like that. Um, I wanted to become a vet, so I went to the University of Illinois and studied animal science there and slowly got immersed into agriculture uh, while I was there. And uh, I started working at the meat lab when I was a sophomore just to make money and help pay for school. And then I, lo and behold, found this career in meat science. Um, I got hooked on pretty quick. We actually have a, a meat judging program. Not many people probably really know about it, but a lot of universities, especially your land grant universities, um, will have meat judging teams that will go around and compete. And essentially you place value on carcasses from most valuable to least valuable. You have to write reasons. But the greatest part about it is really get introduced to the whole meat industry um, from just people within it and then also peers that will be in it later. Uh, I've just got, developed some great friends through that uh, through that process and everything. Um, so that really got me hooked into meat science. Uh, and then I just became more and more interested and went on and I got my master's in meat science as well. I had, did a few internships with Sarah Lee um, under the Hillshire Farm brand, which is now known by Tyson. Um, and then my husband and I moved out to Ohio he also has a PhD in, in meat science. I have my master's. He has a PhD. Um, but we talk a lot about meat, as you can assume. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I started out working at a veal packing plant in Crescent, Ohio. I was there for probably about four months before a position opened up at uh, Certified Angus Beef. And then I started working there in uh, 2015. So I've been there since. And I love it. And each and every day, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Essentially, what we get to do here is we do a lot of hands-on education. So we'll have distributors, chefs, um, even some just consumers come in and show them where different cuts are on the carcass and how to break things down. And then we also have six chefs on staff, and they'll go ahead and cook up all those cuts 
So that way they can get experiences of different muscles, textures, uh, and just seeing those light bulb moments is phenomenal um, when people walk in. So it's just really neat to have people see the whole industry through and through. No, I can imagine. So I taught high school ag in two years in Daytona, and the first competition we covered was Meat ID, actually. And it was so fun. The first time, it was the first competition we did, and so it was really cool actually teaching them, showing them the different cuts of meat and stuff like that. And we actually went to Gainesville and did the state competition, and it was super fun. And, of course, they were in the meat locker the whole time, and they were super (laughs) cold, but... Uh, they had a blast. We didn't place very high, but we learned a lot and it was so fun. That's all that matters. It, it is so like, it's just so neat that experience. We, I coached a, um, a 4-H meat judging team here in Ohio. And then I also coached one in Illinois. Um, and coming up with the little ways for people to remember the cuts of meat, you're like, oh yeah, that one looks like Pac-Man. That one, like you just have those things engraved in your head then for the rest of your life. You are walking down the, the store at the grocery and you're just like, oh, oh, look, look, there's a Pac-Man steak right there. It's like, oh, okay, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So now anytime my wife goes to get meat from Publix or wherever, um, she's always making sure that we get something that's well marbled and it's got some good quality to it. So that's pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, you've been doing something on your Instagram, which is really neat where you showcase different cuts of meat. Um, and usually they're like some lesser known cuts. And I think I'm like, oh, for 10 on guessing all of them, which, uh, hopefully I get better at that. But, um, what kind of inspired you to do that? Because that's been really, that's been really fun to kind of follow. Yeah. So this was all a COVID inspiration. Um, I was sitting there thinking about, how, what what do people ask most of when we have people in the back and I'm breaking down sides of beef, what do they ask the most of? And 90% of the time they're back there, it's, can you show me this cut? Or, hey, have you heard of this cut? They want to know more about the cuts. So I thought, well, I think it'd be fun for people just to guess what cut it is um, and just put something up there. And then the next day, just give them a little bit of education behind it. So that way they can kind of play a game and keep challenging themselves. And it is it's fun just to see people's answers because sometimes I'm like, oh, I totally can see why you think that. And that gives you some culinary inspiration at the same time when you're looking at it. You're like, oh, we probably could use, utilize that in a different way. Um, but then also to me, one of the neatest parts is that this is the beauty of Instagram is being able to connect with everyone through the world. So it's not just that small niche. So I put something up and you get responses of, well, this is what we call it in Argentina. Well, this is what we call it in Japan. This is what we call. So it's so cool for me to learn and see all these different names of cuts throughout the world and then how they utilize it in their cuisine. And you're instantly connected. Uh, just that's, that's always the fun part of, of having that, that education, but it goes, goes both ways. It's just not on, on my end preaching out. I, I receive a lot from people. And so that's the fun part when people plug into it too. That's a pretty cool perspective. So are there any other types of meat, like maybe a T-bone steak where we treat it really well here, but in other countries, maybe they don't care for it? Well, it's more that, so they'll, it's more that they won't have it. It's not as utilized. Um, because if you think about just even from how fortunate we are in terms of refrigeration and everything like that. Well, a lot of times it's, well, we don't have that capability in this country. So we're going to have these large hunks of meat that we're ultimately going to cover in salt to try to preserve them. And we have to slice it really thin. So they still will use like kind of your middle meats, I feel like are a go-to, they're a great item. 
But then it's all of those other cuts, like you think about in uh, Japan, like a shabu shabu, just the thinly sliced, because they want to make sure that the meat's cooked all the way and thoroughly. Even down in South America, you have a lot of things that are cut really thin on the bias because they want to make sure it's well done just from a food safety standpoint. Well, we really don't have to worry about that. So we try to use these in different ways. We usually cook them way under than what they would. And um, But I think just getting that culinary inspiration and you see some of the acidity that they add into their dishes too, just to help with that is is really neat to see. And also I've noticed there's a ton of this meat education going on. Someone just reached out to me from Argentina that's doing a butcher school within Argentina and they're trying to train up, get people more involved and engaged in this career because they're realizing it's that dying art, but they still need it. Uh, There was someone in the Middle East that was just talking to me about that too, that she's doing the same thing, trying to educate and get people more involved in cutting because there's so few of those people out there. Uh, So just seeing the need globally is, is really awesome. And knowing that you have that trade that can be really useful. And I think there's a lot of people out there that can cut meat. They just don't know that there's very few of them that can. So it's, it's fun just seeing that kind of go through. Oh, that's awesome. So, man, I can't remember his name, but we had on somebody a few months ago, or I think last year, and he does butchery, which I think specifically for hogs. And so he goes to those locations and he butchers them on site and kind of holds a class to kind of show the cuts and all that stuff, uh, which is really neat because there really aren't that many butchers as there are or as there were in years past. I mean, it's kind of like um, a career field that nobody's really interested in anymore. Yeah, it's funny that you say that too. So we have neighbors down the road, uh, being that we're transplants from Illinois to Ohio, we don't have family around here, uh, but our neighbors were fortunate enough to invite us over. They do this every year where they'll they'll bring in a few hogs that kind of the surrounding families want and they'll they'll butcher them all and then they'll cut them apart and they've set up this whole system where they have basically this small room that you could pretty much fit a table in. They put air conditioners in to cool it down. They'll have about like eight people in there cutting. And then you transfer the meat down to the basement and they have a group of people making sausages and then people packaging steaks. It's like this whole process. And there's usually five or six families that are involved in it. But then afterwards, you distribute out the meat and you guys are pretty much set on pork for the year. So it's it's really neat because that's how it used to be done. Like you used to go around and help each other out. But it's a great way just to get people involved with each other um, and just help them want each other out. So that I always I love seeing those those things go on. And as long as it's done like in a, in a safe way, of course, that's that's always the, the concern when you see that happening. But seeing that they've taken the time to to know the ins and outs behind it is a lot of fun. So we've got some friends of friends that went in. Um, with some other friends and bought a cow and processed it. And they got so Uh much meat that they basically had to buy a separate freezer because they had so much, which is so cool. And I want to do that one day because it's such a great way that, I mean, you know exactly where that meat's coming from. You know exactly how that cow is processed. And um, I mean, it's such a win-win. You're getting so much meat too at a lower cost than you might get at a grocery store for buying that much. And that's the the one neat thing. I think seeing the process is kind of understanding that too. Because so my my husband is from a small town in Oblong, Illinois. Not there's I think sixteen hundred people there. I'm from Chicago suburbs. So my family doesn't really understand that process at all. Um, but my dad at one point he did want to buy a a steer from my my husband's family. 
So he did. And I told him like, okay, you're going to need to make sure you have freezer space. And so he said, okay. And then I'm like, you're going to know you're going to have a lot of ground beef. Like a lot of ground beef is going to come off this animal. And so we, we go through the process and like I was telling him like, okay, so this, this animal is like 1200 pounds live. But then once you get to the hot carcass weight, so once the head hooves hide and viscera or guts have all been removed, now we're down to like 800 pounds. And now we're going to process that. And now we're going to be down to like 350 to 400 pounds. And out of that, you're going to have about 10 to 12 ribeyes. You'll have about 10 strip steaks. And then depending on who's cutting it, how many sirloin steaks, you might have 10 to 15. And then you're going to have a lot of roasts. And you'll have some, you'll have about four tenderloin steaks. And, and then you're going to have a lot of ground beef. Like you, you need to realize this is, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And because I think it's understanding a lot, like you'll see, because a price, like, so we get inside of beef here at the culinary center. We pay two $2.50 per pound for a whole side of beef. So it's usually for a side of beef is around a thousand to a thousand two hundred dollars. Okay. But then from there, we process it and you only get so few steaks. And so you go to the grocery store and you think, man, that's a sticker shock, especially now. I mean, prices are extremely high, but yeah, they still are trying to utilize the, the rest of that entire carcass. And for us, like we don't save, we don't have the stomach or anything like that. But even at the packing plants, they're utilizing every single piece of that. So you think about how many restaurants have ribeye on the menu great, but how many restaurants have your uh, lifter meat on the menu or how many restaurants have your tri-tip on the menu? It's okay. There's not as many there. So that's, that's the beauty of, of the beef system in general is that we find homes for everything. So I think it's fun to, to be able to go through that experience, to see the process because you learn so much in it. And I think everyone should be able to, to do that. That's why we have that here of breaking the animal apart so you can see where everything is. But by being able to have beef at the grocery store available to us 24-7 is just phenomenal to be able to have that quality and you get what you want, what you know you're going to eat versus, all right, we're going to try to take down this round roast again tonight because that's all we have left in the freezer. And it's kind of going through all that. And it, it's comical because even here we utilize all of our, our meat and we usually usually will send it to like our chefs will use it for for groups coming in for lunches or dinners or whatever. But then the rest of it, we have a, internally, we can give it to staff for a suggested donation price. So, cause since we're not inspected, we can't actually sell the meat, but then we utilize that to go back to some of our, um, kind of our uh, helping other farmers and ranchers. We have uh, a few things that we do that just able to give aid out when needed. Um, so we use that internally, but, the middle meats, those steaks will sell first by far. And then usually we have some of your round cuts or your chuck cuts that are left. But to me, those are the hidden gems like that no one really truly knows about. And I think it's that the confusion from a consumer of, I really don't know what to do with it. It's like, it's, it's easy. I mean, and people will ask me like salt and pepper and grill it 90% of the time. That's all you need to do or throw it in a crock pot low and slow, depending on how big it is. Uh, but, Though that to me is where more education can be driven to get people to to get some of these lower end cuts to utilize because they're still phenomenal eating experiences. I mean, especially here at Certified Angus Beef, we have a lot of high quality meat coming through, but 
you don't have to pay as much for them. And regardless if you're buying them here or if you're buying them at a grocery store or where you're getting them. And that's even some of the conversations that we have with chefs too. We want you to really utilize the whole animal, not just these middle meats. Because, and if you do utilize the whole animal, then it's going to drive the value of certified Angus beef. It's going to drive the value of the Angus animal. And then it's going to go back to that farmer and rancher, the Angus cattleman, because that that's who we are at certified Angus beef. We are actually owned by the American Angus Association. Um, and that, that's made up of just farmers and ranchers that pay their dues every every year. And so that way it's going to drive the demand back to them and they're going to have a more profitable animal to keep trying to make that certified Angus beef marking continue to drive the quality of the animal in general, which is, I think that's one of the neatest parts about this company is um, that we're working for that, that local person, um, even though it's still just, it's big beef system, it still goes through the whole beef system, but we're really driving it back to whoever has Angus cattle. Because even, I mean, to be quite honest, to any, anyone who has black-hided animals, because it's driving the value behind it, because people are looking for that higher quality meat. Yeah, so people hear that term, um, 100% certified Angus beef, and know that it's got better marbling, better flavor, and stuff like that. So really, I mean, what kind of sets those Angus cows apart to where, you know, there's so much prestige behind them? Yeah, so it's really neat the way the way the company started. So we actually had, um, there's an Angus farmer that uh, went out to dinner in Chicago. He had a terrible steak, but on the menu it said it was Angus. And he was really upset because he's like, I raised these Angus animals and this is what people are eating. And they think that it's Angus beef. This is not Angus beef. So he wrote into the American Angus Association and said, this is what we need to do in order to make sure that the Angus name is known for, known and well-liked. Um, and so the American Angus Association said, okay, let's try this. Um, and so they actually got Mick Colvin, um, who lived in West Salem, Ohio, and that's why we are in Worcester, Ohio right now, is because of where Mick lived. He said, Mick, you're going to head this up and try to start a branded beef program which never existed before that. So it's just kind of like, all right, good luck, bud. See you later. Um, but he, he actually got it going. And the main reason why was he was able to work with a meat scientist, Dr. Bob Van Stavern from Ohio State. I actually should say the Ohio State since I'm in the state of Ohio. Gosh, yeah. Um, they play the Ohio State fight song they're little at, at the Cleveland Indians baseball game. I don't, I never understand that. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm still trying to understand that, but... Anyways, um, so he contacted Dr. Bob Van Stavern to say, hey, we need to, to do something to, to make sure that the meat that people are getting is high quality. And so the beauty with Angus animals is that they're already high quality animals in general. I mean, they're just known to be one, they're genetically, they're good mothers. So they're, they're very good at, at producing other cattle and then also just being able to feed and grow and everything. So from a producer standpoint, Angus cattle are awesome. Then from you look from a carcass trait standpoint, they really typically have more marbling in them. I mean, they just always have. And you, we've tried to select for this over years. So now we're getting these higher genetics or better genetics, I should say, within the cattle that are producing more marbling within them as well. So then it, that's like the live side of things. But then we look at the carcass. Okay. Now we could say that we want Angus cattle. And that's great because then it does drive the demand for the Angus cattle. However, within that group of Angus, I mean, even if you look at, at I, I think about English Mastiff. So I have an English Mastiff dog. You have a wide array of English Mastiff. 
usually English Mastiffs are really big animals. Um, they're kind of bold and, and rough. Well, my English Mastiff is only 110 pounds. So very, although it sounds big to some people, that's very light for a Mastiff. Um, she has long hair, doesn't look like your typical Mastiff would, uh, but she is technically purebred. I mean, she is 100% Mastiff, English Mastiff. So it's a kind of the same concept with Angus cattle. You can have these Angus cattle that, yeah, they are Angus, but they might have not gotten the best nutrition or they might not have the best genetics. So from an eating quality standpoint, they're still not that great. And so that's where they wanted to say, okay, no, we need to make sure the dots are connected all the way through the system. So they focus on, from the live standpoint, predominantly black hided. And essentially that means the entire body is black. If it has a little white on its face or on its uh, hooves, then it's okay. Uh, but everything else has to be black. So you can have some heterogeneity in there. You can have some mixed breeds because we know commercial herds exist and that's really the number one thing that's driving that beef industry. So we need to make sure that we play into that. But now let's look at the carcass itself because that's where the true quality is gonna lie in that carcass. And so we'll look at the marbling. We wanna make sure that it has enough marbling that a consumer is gonna notice a difference. And then we also wanna make sure the animal is younger. So less than 30 months of age, because the older an animal gets, the tougher that meat's going to be. So we try to look at those, those things essentially to give that tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. Everything that a consumer wants to have in order to have a great tasting steak. So that's kind of our goal there. But then we have seven other specifications that we'll look at some other parameters. So some of them we call the chef specs because they look at sizing, having consistent ribeye sizing, little back fat having a consistent hot carcass weight just to keep the animals more consistent because then they're easier to work with. But then also you don't get excessive in fat. There's not a lot of waste um, in terms of the production standpoint. So it keeps them the more cost effective as well because you don't have to worry about all that trim work and everything. And then you'll have some things that can happen in animals like a capillary rupture or dark cutter or the shape of the ribeye just simply is, is kind of narrow and long. It just doesn't look good. Um, we want to get those out. So kind of they're the oddballs in the industry, but they still exist. And we just don't want those to be in that certified Angus beef box. So once we go through that process, and actually a USDA grader is going to evaluate the animal to make sure that it falls into that category, um, it could then be labeled certified Angus beef. So you being a person that would go to a grocery store, and they could go and see that logo, that certified Angus beef logo and say, that's what I'm going to get because all of that guesswork at the end of, does it have enough marbling? Is it going to be tender? How that's all done for you already. So it's making sure that that consumer is going to get the best product that they can find at the store at that time. So that's kind of our goal behind that. And, and doing so, it's going to drive back since we are certified Angus beef, it drives back, oh, that consumer sees Angus and they perceive it as high quality. So it's going to drive that back that demand for the Angus animal, which is going to help our farmers and ranchers get more profit for their animal too. Yeah. And there's only really two breeds that kind of have that prestige. It's Angus and um, Wagyu, which is totally like a different um, ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So have y'all tested any Wagyu there? We've uh, looked at different stuff and it's, it's kind of, it's definitely it's its own breed for sure. Um, there's beauties in it. The marbling in it is phenomenal. 
without a doubt. Definitely uh, heavy marbled animals. The hard part is too, from an efficiency standpoint, they take a lot longer to reach that endpoint. So that's going to be more days on feed, longer production, which is going to be hard for that producer. But that's, I mean, that's what you pay for with the Wagyu. I mean, you're paying for the extra days on feed, the more food for the animals. You're paying a little bit more for that trim work that they have to do at the processing level. So there's all those things that are going to it. And that's why you have those drastic price price differences between your certified Angus beef and your Wagyu. Not saying that Wagyu wouldn't be a, a phenomenal experience because it would be from an eating quality standpoint. But to be honest, I can only have like a couple bites of the steak and then I'm, I'm pretty much out because it's just usually fat overload. Um, but it's still, it's one of those things. It's like, well, I tried it. Like it was, it's, it's neat to have that experience. And those deaf, those animals have been bred to be that heavy marbled uh, type. So you just see again, going into those genetics that playing through for sure. And you're starting to see more of your Angus Wagyu cross um, out there in the market. And there's still a little debate on how profitable that is. But the beauty of it, those animals would be black-hided. So they still can fall into that certified Angus beef brand and still drive the demand for those Angus genetics that are within the animal as well. Gotcha. And before I forget about it, there's black Angus and red Angus, right? Yes. So is there really any difference there between kind of the breeds? No, that's the hard part. So we are the only country that that makes certified Angus beef black and and the Red Angus Association. So we have American Angus Association and the Red Angus Association, where we're two separate entities. Although they're the same, come from the same breed and everything. I mean, really, they're very similar of everything. It's just simply their hide color, um, where you could actually have two black animals that um, actually have a red calf. That is very possible. Uh, But because we are the American Angus Association and we live in the United States, we really do focus only on our black Angus cattle. Um, and to be honest, there's fewer of the red Angus too. Um, they can still fall into other programs. Like you have your certified Hereford um, that would actually capture those as well. Um, but it's just, just a smaller pool of cattle, but they still do have very uh, similar genetics for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. I've always wondered if there's like a difference between the taste of the two. I mean, black and red. Now I will say the beauty, um, beauty about the American Angus Association. So they've been at this for years um, and they are definitely a group. I'd say that's uh, pretty, pretty dominant for their breed. Like they, they will do anything to make sure that the breed is going to stand out and be better uh, to the point where I, I remember when I was in graduate school, there was a, a genetic disease that was found within the Angus genetics. So essentially to be to be registered, you send in a blood sample to make sure that you are in fact Angus type. Um, so they found this, this disease and they said, okay, um, this is okay. Like you could keep it going in the Angus herd. However, it's going to cause some defects down the line. And so the American Angus Association, they really could have just said, all right, whatever, we're just going to leave it as is. It's going to cause a little few bumps in the road, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a major deal, just be a minor deal. But them being who they are, they said, no, 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 no. We want to make sure that this breed is the best. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to remove anyone that basically had that genetic defect in their line. They no longer could be considered registered Angus cattle, which takes an animal, like if you think a bull that originally was a registered Angus bull, had so much value to him and now just drops it to hardly anything because he no longer is registered Angus animal. 
And so it had a lot of their people that are within the association very upset that they did this, but they did it to better the Angus genetics. They did it to improve the herd moving forward. And those are decisions that they continue to make each and every day. I know that they're not going to be favorable decisions by the association or by all of the farmers and ranchers, but they know that it's going to improve the herd quality and that's their goal. And that's one thing that the Angus Association has been doing before any other breed association out there. So they're definitely further along, I'd say, on that genetic pool probably than any other breed. Um, and it's awesome to see that quality on the meat side because you're seeing these extremely high quality animals continue to come through. And it's because they've been so diligent at making sure they have the best genetics within. And so from your perspective, I've always heard a lot of things about grain finished beef and grass finished beef. And I've heard that like grain finish results in a butterier flavor and grass finish is kind of like a healthier, I guess, less fattier flavor. And so have you seen any real differences there between grass finished or grain finished beef? Like, um, does one have more marbling or is one going to be a little bit better tasting than the other? Um, what have you, what have you found there? Yeah. So the biggest thing is usually your grain finished cattle are going to have higher quality. They're going to have more marbling just simply from the nutrition that the animal is getting. Now, the biggest thing to remember is all animals will eat grass pretty much their entire life. Um, They they have to, to help develop their rumen. Even when those grain finished animals are in the feed yard, they're still eating some type of forage just mixed into their diet. Um, it's not going to be just pure corn and they have a a nutritionist that will balance all that out. Your grass finished animals, since they don't have as much starch or those carbohydrates in their diet, uh, they're going to tend to be leaner. Uh, so that's going to give you, uh, it's almost to me, a gamier type taste that some people will notice, um, that, and that's really going to be your major differences between the two. Uh, and that's why the, the grain finished animal is more favorable to the consumer, one, because they're used to that that palate, but also it simply just tastes better. Now, I definitely have seen some grass-finished animals that do have marbling. It is, it is possible. I'm not saying that it's not, but it takes longer for those animals to reach that end point in order to get that marbling. Um, so again, you're going to have more days on feed. Um, it's not going to be as sustainable as you would have your, your grain-finished beef which is kind of contradictory to what a lot of people think, um, but it, it's the truth. Uh, but just kind of, that's why you have some of those differences overall is maybe you're gonna have more marbling or higher quality within your grain finished animal um, versus your grass finished. Yeah, that's something I need to do. I wanna do like a taste test between them and kind of figure out what are the differences between grain fed and, and grass finished. It's fun. We do them here a lot. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And it most it's actually pretty great because most chefs will say that they have it on their menu pretty much just for the consumer that they don't like grain or grass finished beef. They're like, I really don't want to have that. I, I'd prefer not to like it because honestly, we go and buy some grass finished beef from there's a butcher shop up the road that has it. And we just cook them side by side to our certified Angus beef. And they're like, yeah, I know it's on the menu, but. We really just do it for the consumer. I don't like grass-finished beef. I'm like, oh, hold that. Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, consumer demand basically drives everything. Whatever the chefs want or whatever the consumer wants, I mean, that's what's going to be yes. in the grocery store. I mean, the consumer is super powerful. It's cr- it, And that's what always kills me because uh, the consumer will think like all the food industry is out to get them. Like we're trying to hurt them. We're going to poison them with whatever we're giving them. It's like, no, 
you're driving the demand for like our process. So we don't want to hurt you because if you died, like you wouldn't have anyone consuming our products. So no, that doesn't make any sense. And really, we just want to make sure that you're having the best experience. And that's with the entire, like when I worked at Sara Lee with Hillshire Farms, I, I so many consumers will think that the processed meats are so bad for you. It's, they're not, they're not bad for you at all. I mean, they have salt in them, but it's, I mean, as long as you're not consuming an entire thing of lunch meat every single day, then you really should be okay. Uh, it's, it's healthy for you. This is good stuff. We're not going to try to hurt you, but we want to make sure that you enjoy the products, even though there's some things that are on the back that are chemicals that you might not fully understand. It's really just to make sure that the product tastes good and it's safe for you to eat. I mean, that's, that's really the goal behind producing anything. Um, but it's, it's always just kind of comes back to, oh, they're trying to get me. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is like the safest food system in the world that we have here. You need to be confident in that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, here in the U.S., we have the safest, most abundant food supply that we've ever seen. Yeah. And if consumers don't want something, then farmers aren't going to grow it. I mean, that's why, for example, um, consumers wanted organic produce and then farmers started growing more and more organic stuff to kind of fit those needs because that's how powerful the consumer is. Yeah. And you even look at, I remember this was way back when, but there was a kind of a big push against no caffeine and people didn't want coffee anymore. Coffee all of a sudden was really bad for you. And it actually caused countries in South America to really plummet because we stopped buying coffee beans in. And it's amazing of how much I mean, power we truly have just by personal preferences like that. And it, but again, like you said, I mean, people will switch our practices to make sure that we provide for that consumer without a doubt. Yeah. I feel like the biggest problem is that people are forgetting about moderation. I mean, just like with, with coffee, I mean, if you had yes. 20, 30 cups of coffee a day, like you're going to have some caffeine problems there. I mean, for yes. sure. But um, I mean, the same thing. If you ate beef with every meal, you probably have some health issues. And just like if you ate apples, like nothing but apples, yes. you probably have those same problems or, or different problems. I mean, it's all about moderation and having like some sort of, I don't know, personal responsibility with, um, with your diet and kind of making sure you're having a healthy diet and you're eating what you're supposed to. I completely agree. And it's so funny that you even said apples. We actually had a, um, a friend of ours in graduate school. Like one day he came in and we're sitting down. And he literally had an entire bag of apples. <laughs> and we look at him we're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, you know, the apple peel, it's got this, this enzyme in it that's really good. It helps speed up your metabolism and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And he's going on and on. Like, okay, but how much sugar is in the rest of that apple? Like, you consume just those, I guarantee you've gone out of your sugar range that you need to have for the day. That's probably not the greatest thing from a calorie standpoint. Maybe you eat an apple to get that enzyme and then maybe have some vegetables and some protein to balance the whole meal. It was just, it is, it, it, people just get so stuck in their groove of this is what we're going to do. It's like, no, you got to think of the big picture. And that even goes back to when we talk about grain finished beef, you a same thing with the nutritionist balancing that diet for the animal. They're not just going to give them all corn because they know that it's not healthy. They need to make sure that it's balanced all the way through so that they get all of the nutritional requirements that they need in order to grow efficiently. So that's the kind of that big myth that they're just kind of pumping them full of grain. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not how this works. Like if, if we only all had nutritionists 
working on our meals. I can only imagine what they would tell me about my diet. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same, same. They probably tell me to leave it all the Cheetos. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's something a lot of people don't realize is that, um, I mean, there are nutritionists on a farm that are making sure the cows are eating what they're supposed to, chickens, whatever livestock. I mean, if the livestock isn't within a certain um, weight range, like if they're too big or too small, I mean, they're not yes. going to be nearly as profitable. So you've got to kind of rein in yes. what they're eating and make sure that they are kind of between the goalposts in terms of weight. Without a doubt. Yeah. So I feel like we could keep talking about this for a I while, know. but so um, <laughs> I know COVID's still a thing. And about early 2020, we had a whole issue with the, with the food supply chain. And so, I mean, what really happened there with um, kind of the meat processing? Like, did we lose workers? Why did they shut down so much? Because I know that was a huge issue um, about, I don't know, over a year ago when all that happened. Yeah. So again, that was all consumer demand, consumer scare that kind of drove that. So if you even look at some of the, the pricing that happened or uh, the market, right right when COVID started, so people, I mean, toilet paper and everything, people started buying stuff like crazy. Well, they did that in the meat department. I mean, they just bought and bought and bought, tore out everything. So that way, really, our demand skyrocketed. And so now we're trying to get cattle processed faster um, to get the, those meads net, and then it started to, to die down a little bit. But at the same time, so that's that consumer demand, and consumers actually remained elevated in buying meat in general, especially beef. They just wanted more meat because I think think it was kind of that mentality, well, we need to have some in the freezer, so we're always just going to buy a little bit extra. Um, so it's remained elevated. So because it remained elevated in the grocery stores, we're trying to, to keep that supply going. Fortunately slash unfortunately, at the beginning our food service, so all of our restaurants and everything, they were closed. So we were able to kind of switch over that supply from food service over into retail. The only issue is sometimes we have some more of those food service cuts uh, versus retail cuts. So we had to balance that out a little bit, but ground beef was a big seller. So a lot of things probably got ground up and thrown into there. Um, so now we had food service come back on and they're wanting some of this meat that now the retail sector was taking in. So now we have more demand on both sides. And so it's trying to make sure that we get that demand met. But at the same time, your packing plants are still battling with COVID. So they're still having to have people wear face masks. They have to stand further apart than what they did before, meaning they're going to have to decrease your, your line. So slow down that line to make the process happen still efficiently but it's not going to be as fast as what it was. So now we have those things moving through slowly. And now you're having people that are getting sick or maybe not coming to work or have found different jobs. And so they're starting to battle. I mean, still labor for them is the number one issue. They don't have enough people coming in consistently in order to get things processed. So if you put kind of a, a hold on all that up front, then of course that trickle down is going to be a lot harder. And so we're still seeing extremely high meat prices uh, compared to any other time. And it's not just meat is the sad part. I mean, it's it's everything. Everything is really high. It, just from transportation standpoint, we don't have enough of that going on right now in the United States and in the world to be, to be exact. I mean, the, in terms of freight um, and just flight and everything is just completely slowed down. And so that's jumping prices up quite a bit. Um, so, but you're still continuing to see those effects from COVID. Uh, we did have a little bit of a lull, but now as we go back into the holiday season, 
you see certain prices start to go up again, especially your rib and your tenderloin. But that's being said, there's still plenty of other cuts that are going to remain low on that radar. Um, one great value cut to buy right now would be a strip loin or to even buy closer to the holidays. So a lot of people will go to your classic rib roast for Christmas. Um, but really that strip is the exact same muscle as your rib, that longissimus dorsi, and could handle just as well prepared as kind of your quote unquote prime rib. You could still do the same cooking techniques to it. And it's going to be a fraction of the cost of what that ribeye or tenderloin would be. So it's kind of driving the demand to some of those other cuts to make sure that people are still satisfied and, and can utilize them pretty easily. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember hearing um, some people saying like, oh, we have a beef shortage. And I was like, no, we don't really have a beef shortage. It's that we're having like problems um, processing it all. And I mean, that's just a huge, a huge problem there. And then even whatever that all was going on, I remember seeing pictures of like Publix, Walmart, different supermarkets. And um, when people were actually, when they were buying their meat, they were buying all sorts of stuff like beef, chicken, um, pork, whatever, but they weren't buying that um, alternative meats like Beyond Meat and all that stuff, which I thought was pretty interesting. Oh, yes, I actually did. I, I love seeing that. It's like, oh, yeah, wait, no, they're, they're still fully stocked. It's like, okay, now we know where the true protein lies right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, I tried the Beyond Meat burger a few months ago, and it was okay. Like, it wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but you could tell it definitely wasn't there yet, like, in terms of yeah. flavor and texture and all that good stuff. And it's really fascinating that people just kind of think it it just kind of appears there, I but... Think- there's so many random ingredients in there, like soybean oil, yes. beets, and stuff like that. I mean, yes. like like beets kind of give it, um, kind of make it bleed, quote unquote. And so it's interesting that some people think it's not super processed. Yes. And it always blows my mind. It's like the sector of the people. It's like the people that are eating the Beyond Burger are so like, oh, I want minimal processed and everything like that. I'm like, okay, that's, that's probably the most processed thing that you could have. Like, just go cut a cauliflower steak or something if you want to have vegetables in your diet. I, I don't understand it. I, I have had it before plain. Like I never have had it actually as a burger. Um, and it just, it's, yeah, like you said, the texture is really different. I hate, I hate that they try to look like a burger. I'm like, okay, if you really don't want to eat meat, then why are you trying to imitate the way meat looks? Like just make it a different shape or something like that. I just, yeah, it, it blows my mind, but <laughs> yeah, make it I mean, shaped like a broccoli leaf or something. Yeah, right. I, if I, I'm not going to judge anyone. I mean, if you if you like to eat them, that's totally fine. That's that's kind of we're fortunate enough to have those choices. But I just don't like them. I'm not a fan. Yeah, we've got a lot of choices. Yeah. So I I saw one. It was like an imitation imitation chicken sausage, and I was like, Ugh. nothing of that sounds appetizing. So no. I'm good. No, thank you. <laughs> Oh, it kills me. And yeah, me. I, I've had um, a cauliflower steak before, and it was actually really good. Like, it was crunchy. It was really, I, really good. I'm a fan. I really am a fan. I mean, you get a good char on that on the grill, a lot of salt and pepper. I I, I mean, I'm, I'm a vegetable eater. I really am a meat and vegetable person. So I could eat any vegetable without a problem. I'm not going to hate it. But that's why I'm like, I don't understand why we have to process it. Just eat it the way it is. It's it's delicious how it comes comes out of the ground and everything so just have it that way that's the way it's supposed to be oh yeah the simpler the better so um we've actually kind of befriended a company here in florida called boyd farms fresh and they are a ranch that sells direct to consumers so they started going to farmers markets and started selling direct 
and we've bought a bunch of stuff from him. Like we bought a hanger steak that was super good. I mean, you can't find that at Publix. Uh, so what do you think about those smaller scale operations kind of like that, that are starting to deliver direct to consumers and that can even provide like better cuts or high quality, less available cuts straight to consumers? Like, do you think that's kind of a win-win there? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's benefits in it to like regardless. I, I I think you need everything in the beef system. I think you need to have the the big overall arching the I call it the big beef businesses, um, just just to get the the demand out to get it to grocery stores to be able to provide. But there are some smaller places. I mean, even we we will work with uh, Bowling Ed's Packing here in Ashland, Ohio. I mean, they only harvest about a hundred to hundred and fifty head of cattle a week. Um, so they're not going to be able to get it, get their meat out too far, but they also can't fabricate it down to um, like a bunch of small retail cuts and get it all tray ready and have your steaks perfect and everything like that. It's we take bigger hunks of meat and break it down and utilize it that way. So you have some benefits on both ends, but that that connection to be able to to utilize the whole animal, I will have to say that the probably your larger scale packing plants are much better at utilizing the entire thing because they have customers that they can find homes for the stomach, for the tongue, for the cheek meat and all that, all those kind of off cuts. But you still have kind of that that smaller processor that he has the ability to get you some of those kind of off the off the chart cuts, like your hanger steak. Well, there's only one of those per animal. So those are pretty much utilized by the food service industry really quickly in big industry because there's not many of them out there or even the Terrace Major. I mean, I know that's a really heavy food service item. So if you could get that from kind of your, your smaller butcher, that's that's awesome to be able to connect with them too on that. Um, it's There's places for everyone in the world for sure. And I, I the main reason why I do like it is I feel like people are connecting or trying to connect back to agriculture. And there's this huge disconnect from there right now. Uh, and I think we need to have more of that bridge gapped so people just understand why certain practices are in place and that it is good and okay. And you're starting to see more and more acceptance of that. Um, I just hope that people don't think that that's only in your small local person. That's everywhere. I mean, it's it's within the system. It's being able to see how that small person can fit into the bigger picture because um, they will regardless of of where they are producing that they're all kind of in it together doing similar practices for sure oh yeah i like that that's a good point so um, i learned in college that it's kind of the four main categories of beef are like prime choice select standard in terms of like quality but uh didn't that change like a few months ago or like a few years ago uh not really you still have prime choice select standard and then you have more um that are on kind of your lower quality um so you have commercial utility cutter and canner uh, but those are animals that are older than 42 months of age. Um, so just kind of your poor quality. But in terms of kind of your your mainstream, your um, that people would know, pr- prime choice and select, uh, that standard, not many people even know that. So the fact that you know standard is pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I that, had an animal science class in college, and we learned all about the different cuts and stuff. So that's awesome. And that's going to be your lowest quality of your younger animals, um, just so not a lot of marbling essentially is what it comes down to. Um, but yeah, those are still all utilized in some way, shape or form. So even if like, if you're a beef person and you have this old cow, that's kind of just isn't producing calves anymore and you're going to end up putting her into the beef system, 
Well, then all of a sudden you have this eight-year-old animal that's going through. And what are you going to do with all of her cuts of meat? So it's, she still has a tenderloin. She still has a ribeye. And I tell you, those still will get processed and they still will get sold. Probably your tenderloin, your ribeye, and your strip loin are going to be used in some further process type way. Um, but then your other meats, if you think about Campbell's soup, like they, those have chunks of beef in them. Where do they come from? You get some of those cattle that fall into your um, canner and cutter uh, categories. There's basically really old and really low marbling. Um, that's going to go more into your pet food system. But they all have homes. And that's the beauty of the big beef industry is that they can take it and see where do these places need to go? Because we still need to utilize all the meat in some way, some form, somehow. So how are we going to put them back to the people? Um, so it's it's cool to just kind of watch how that works. And there's actually even um, a National Renderers Association. So it's the NRA, which is always funny because it's like the other, other NRA. Um, but they they have this really neat infograph um, that shows where all of those rendered parts kind of go into, um, but basically just showing that every single part of the animal is literally utilized. And some people see that and they like, get scared. It's like, oh, it's in my hot dog. It's like, no, it's not in your hot dog. There's, there's literally meat in your hot dog, but it's all of the other stuff. If you think about just like glues or uh, cosmetics, uh, things like that, even other pet food and stuff, it's all going to go in to be used because we don't want to waste anything. That this animal lived a long life for a reason and a purpose. So we want to make sure that we use it to its best ability. Yeah. I mean, people don't realize that, I mean, there are animal byproducts in almost everything because, I mean, we try to be super sustainable and use most of the parts of the animal. I mean, I was reading a few years ago that um, fireworks, for example, have animal byproducts in them and things like tires, cosmetics, um, and of course, leather, obviously. I mean, there's so much stuff that is made because of animal byproducts and because we want to be sustainable and use all of it. Uh, well, Diana, this has been super awesome chatting with you about, I mean, all things beef, all things meat. Um, I feel like we could just keep talking about this stuff. Uh, but if people want to learn more about you or if they want to learn more about the whole Certified Angus Beef brand, um, where can they go? Where can they go to kind of see the content and learn more about it? Yep. So um, if you want to follow me, I'm at my Instagram handle is Beef Maven. Um, and then Certified Angus Beef, you could just search Certified Angus Beef. We have our, our website. There's a ton of great recipes on there for pretty much every single cut of beef that you can imagine. Um, where I think we're on all the major channels too, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and anything like that. Um, so yeah, just Google it and I'm sure you will be able to find us pretty quickly. Uh, but yeah, if you guys have ever have questions or comments, we also have a podcast, the meat speak podcast, uh, just kind of talk all things culinary and beef as much as we can. Uh, so please feel free to jump on and listen. And if you have questions, comments, write in, we will be sure to answer you. Um, even if you write into the website, I promise you, we do look at all of those questions and we will get back to you uh, probably within a week, honestly. We're pretty good about doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I can't wait to check out your podcast more, Meat Speak. I mean, I think it's super cool to have those um, really focused podcasts in ag like Meat Speak, where you can learn more about like beef and meat and all that good stuff. And um, also super impressed that you guys use TikTok. I have not ventured into that, but it looks super terrifying. But I mean, it's also been super valuable for some people. That's been a very new venture for uh, for certifying as beef. We're we're starting to see some some trends and things. It's 
Yes. I, I have never, I, I don't own, I don't have a TikTok account or anything like that. I feel like I would just get sucked in way too quick and waste a lot of time. So I'm like, yep, I'm just going to stay away, but it's kind of neat. Some of the videos that they've come up with, uh, that I, yeah, they are fascinating to watch. I might have to download TikTok now just to, <laughs> just to see. Um, I mean, I'll do it for Angus. <laughs> Thank Eve, you. So, I appreciate that. So there we go. Well, Diana, this has been awesome chatting with you. Um, I can't wait to follow you more on Instagram, and hopefully I can guess more of those cuts of meat correctly, but we'll see. <laughs> you better. <laughs> All right. Well, th- thanks so much for being on. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode. It was 125 with Diana Clark from Certified Angus Beef. Uh, if you want, go check them out. It's certifiedangusbeef.com, and you can learn a lot about Angus Beef recipes their podcast also which again is meat speak so go check that one out i'm going to check it out um as soon as i'm done recording this one and if you enjoy this episode maybe you're new here consider sharing this episode or any one of our you know over 125 episodes with a friend a colleague a family member whoever maybe a stranger on the street you know go shout them on the street hey go check out farm traveler uh that'd be awesome Actually, if you do that, I will send you a t-shirt. You just have to have proof. Um, But yeah, consider sharing with a friend, family member, colleague, whoever. Um, Growth like that really helps us a ton um, growing the show and, you know, getting the word out there about how our food has grown and stuff like that. So again, thank you for listening. We will see you again next week with another brand new episode of the Farm Traveler Podcast. Thank you for listening and um, adios. Goodbye. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.